Well, friends, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Uh, it's good to see all of you this morning. Um, welcome also to those of you joining us online in a new location. We hope that you found it. Uh, those of us meeting in the building have come to the same spot, but if you are joining us online, you have migrated over to YouTube. And so welcome uh, to those of you who are joining us there. I want to thank our behind-the-scenes folks. You know, it takes a lot of work to uh, help church run and run well, and one of, the, one of the aspects of that that we don't always see are many people uh, with gifts for technology working behind the scenes to help make sure that we can see the service and hear each other and follow along online. So thank you uh, to those of you who have made that switch possible. We hope that this will help bring some new consistency and uh, stability to our online platform. Um, so thank you. Uh, I was not paid by YouTube for that advertisement, by the way. Um, uh, the other thing is, as we're getting started this morning uh, on this Palm Sunday, there's usually a few announcements to highlight, and I have two special guests that I want to welcome to the floor to share this lonely spot up front with me for a moment, uh, Mr. Keith and Miss Katie, and they're going to talk to us about Fairwoods for a second. Yeah, good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. Um, regarding Fairwoods, I'm a board, we're both board members, and uh, we just wanted to share with you that we have membership forms um, out in the fellowship hall on the table. And really what it's for is um, it costs a lot of money and resources, time, maintenance, everything to run Fairwoods. And um, we always need your help. So the forms are for members of the church, but also if you're a regular attendee, you're an associate member, and we ask that you pick up the forms and uh, read them and learn a little bit more about what's going on at Fairwoods and what we have going on. And um, yeah, we're looking for you know your membership dues to um, help maintain and run Fairwoods. We've had it for since 1954, I believe, and it's a great recreational grounds for families, and um, we're just looking for your support. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, so we can find you in the fellowship hall if we want to know more? Yeah? Okay. Um, well done. Yeah, it's a scary spot up here, right? Um, the, speaking of things happening behind the scenes, uh, for many of us, gathered here, we had a chance to, to fellowship together and eat breakfast. As you walk through the fellowship hall, that, uh, that extra thick layer of bacon smoke that you have now been absorbing into your clothes, right? Uh, we, we had a wonderful opportunity to fellowship, and I want to thank our high school students uh, for making us breakfast. It is no small thing to feed a church, so thank you guys uh, for your work and your heart in wanting to do that. It's a tremendous gift uh, to all of us, and uh, we're grateful. Um, and also to all of those of you behind the scenes who lead and guide them and help uh, shepherd this youth program. Thank you to you as well. Um, it's also a great way to kick off Holy Week, which is what it is. Today is Palm Sunday, when the journey of Lent culminates in Jesus entering Jerusalem. This is a big week. It is the biggest week of the year for people who follow Jesus. And so gathering here together, uh, would you join uh, as we rise and worship the Lord together?
into Holy Week, it's sobering just to remember that when God appeared on earth in the person of Jesus, most of the world did not recognize him. Today we ask for faith that will open our eyes to see Jesus for what he is.
loving God, you rode a donkey and came in peace. You humbled yourself and gave yourself for us. As you entered into Jerusalem, the crowd shouted, Save us now. On Good Friday, they shouted, We confess our praise is often empty. We sing Hosanna, yet we cry crucify. As the crowds laid their palms in front of you, you took no glory for yourself. We confess that we want to be accepted and take the easy way. Do not stay true to your will. Forgive us, Lord. Let's take a moment in a silent confession of God. Hear these words from Psalm 118. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. So I invite the deacons to come up for our offering. Our offering this morning is for the ministries of Pleasant Street. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are an abundant God. You have offered us grace. We have nothing to give you, Lord, but our song, our time. We offer you this um, money this morning, Lord. I pray that it will glorify you, that it will further your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you. 
the leper's fast and melt thy heart of stone cause Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow Please rise and body your spirit as we continue song. And when before the throne I stand in incomplete, Jesus died, Mazel to say, my lips shall share with me. Jesus offers us a peace that we can only imagine. And right now we get to respond with that, whether it's with a handshake or a wave or a smile. 
we get to pass that peace along with our brothers and sisters. So with that, the peace of Christ is with you. I'd like to invite our Kid Street kids to come up. This is ages four through second grade. People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is Tony Brookhouse. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street. It's going to be my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. Would you bow your heads? Dear Lord, open our hearts and minds as we worship you this Palm Sunday. This Sunday marks the day when your journey to the cross enters Jerusalem. As we begin Holy Week, we see you enter Jerusalem humbly on a donkey, but to the praises fitting for the king you are. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was the praise from the crowd that day as you entered the city on your journey to our salvation. It hurts our hearts to think about the praises you received on this day that in one week will turn into cries to crucify. We are eternally grateful that you took these steps. For without them, we would not be able to have our eternal relationship with you. We rejoice today in the salvation offered to us through the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross. This voluntary gift of his life to redeem us from our sin is our salvation path to be restored in our relationship with you, O Lord. Please be with our congregation and all the families represented here. Please also be with all those involved in Pleasant Street Church. Help us as we search for a new children's ministry leader. Be with Rick L. and Minnie W. and Jerry K. as they recover from surgery. Also be with Dick M., who is still in the hospital, Hank E., Jack A., as they deal with treatments for cancer. Be with Ted H. as he broke his hip and is in the hospital. And bless our pastor as he delivers your word. We pray this in your name alone. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from a progression of verses from Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Jesus said, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. As we continue our Palm Sunday worship, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, just as you entered the city to the shouts and praise of crowds and the delight of children and the skepticism of the city and the resentment of the leaders, we too this morning, hearing your story, find you coming to us and know that in our midst And even within our own heart, we find all these responses and more. And so we ask, O God, that even as you come to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, in humility and with great power, that you would help us to see in this story all of these responses, our hope, our delight, our questions, and even our hostility. We pray this in your name. Amen. We've been walking with Jesus this Lent toward Jerusalem, and along the way, together as a church, if you're joining us and this is new to you, or even if you have been with us all along, we've been trying to understand how sin works, harm's way. And because Jesus is going to the city of Jerusalem, a place of certain death for him, we have also been trying to understand why Jesus would put himself in harm's way. 
And today, Palm Sunday, Jesus has come to Jerusalem accompanied by the shouts of children, the praise of a very large crowd, the skepticism of a whole city that wants to know what is going on, and the resentment of the leaders. In keeping with the prophecy of Zechariah, a long time before this, Jesus mounts a donkey and he rides like the promised king of peace on the back of a donkey with a colt beside her. Alexander the Great entered cities like this. But Jesus is not riding a war horse like Alexander the Great. He borrows a donkey. Telling the owner, I promise I'm going to give it right back. Jesus is not driving into Jerusalem on an Abrams tank. He is riding on someone's borrowed Honda Civic. And the praises along his way come out mostly off-key and mumbled, owing to the kind of crowd that Jesus tends to collect around himself, the lame and the blind and the illiterate and the marginer. Well, they never could really carry a tune but it doesn't seem to matter. Hosanna, save us. Blessed is the one who comes on God's behalf. Welcome, King Jesus. The king has returned, and he comes to bring peace. This is what the story is telling us. But if you look at what happens in the rest of the chapter, it doesn't look like peace. You see, instead of settling down a wild and unruly city, Jesus turns things over. Instead of going and sitting on David's throne, claiming what is rightfully his, Jesus goes to the temple and he turns over tables, spilling coins and quoting Jeremiah about robbers in God's house and noisy, pointless worship. Instead of blessing the city of God, he curses a fig tree and it withers up and dies. And in the temple, Jesus, with this crowd gathered around him, hanging on his every word, he chooses to tell parables about disobedient sons who think they're cooperating but really have no intention, and about wicked vineyard tenants turning this crowd against himself. On Palm Sunday, the king returns, but something about his presence coming here turns inside of us. It unsettles, it disrupts, it disturbs, it threatens. I was reminded of a story by the preacher Barbara Brown Taylor that she once recounted. She was talking about a time when she was on a spiritual retreat. And at one point during the retreat, the leader asked everyone gathered there to think of someone who had been Jesus to them. Someone in your life who had been as Jesus to you. Well, when it came time to share answers, there were lots of comments about a time someone shared an encouraging word spoken just when it was needed, right? Or or a listening ear when someone was lonely and had nobody to talk to. But then one woman stood up and she said, I had to think hard about that one. I kept asking myself, who is it who's told me the truth about myself so clearly that I wanted to kill him for it? (laughs) 
Honestly, this is not usually what we are looking for from King Jesus. Humble war hero come to bring victory. Yes, bring it on. The one who writes injustice in all its forms and sets free the world and doves and birds. Absolutely. But the one who tells us the truth so well that it provokes us. That is the way that Jesus shows up in Matthew 21. This is how he brings peace. Jesus tells a story, a parable about a landowner who plants a vineyard. And by the end of the story, the Jerusalem authorities know that he is talking to them. And they look for a way to silence him once and for all. Friends, how do they know when they have heard the story? When they are offended. A landowner decides, Jesus says, that he wants to plant a vineyard. And so he clears the land. He tills the land. He plants the grapevines in the land. He puts a wall around the land. He digs a pit in the land for a wine press. He builds a watchtower over the land to keep it safe. And then he funds the staff to run the operation and he goes away. He's invested a lot. And anyone who has invested a lot in anything knows that the more invested you are, the greater your hope is for a return on your investment. Grapes have to mature before they can yield fruit, and wine has to age before it's worth drinking, and so the owner waits. And when the time comes, he sends a servant on his behalf for a portion of the fruit. He wants grapes, but there are no grapes The tenants do the unthinkable. They beat and send the servant away as a living message. The owner doesn't seem to get the message, and he sends other servants. Each time their hostility escalates, they bludgeon, they kill, they shame the servants. But the owner keeps sending them until it seems he is out of servants. And the only person he has left is his own son. My friends, what do you call it? When someone keeps trying the same thing, expecting different results, we feel we know how this is going to end. The owner puts all his hope finally in sending his son. They will respect my son, he, sees, he, he says to himself. The tenants, however, perceive his greatest hope as their final opportunity to be rid of the owner and his claims over them once and for all. Let's kill him. They say, let's take what's his and make it ours. Well, at this point, Jesus invites us to interpret the story. What should the owner do? We don't have to think very long. Has the owner asked anything unfair? Has the owner given them any reason to hate him? No. He gave them a job. They gave him grief. The answer is that the vineyard needs new tenants and justice must be done. Now, if you are familiar with the Bible, you know that this is not just a made-up story about a vineyard owner and a tenants, but this is, in fact, a story about God and his people, about Israel. Israel, the prophets say on refrain, is like a vine which God rescued from Egypt. 
God cleared the land of Canaan for them. God planted Israel there. God gave them a law like a wall to protect them so they could grow and flourish in the land. And God waited for grapes. He was hoping for grapes. Well, God sends prophets and some of them they beat and others they mistreat and some they kill. God planted a vineyard. God wanted grapes, but what he got is wild grapes and it set the children's teeth on edge, Isaiah says. This is a story about the long saga of God and his people. But when Jesus tells the story, at first, the Jerusalem authorities would have thought of themselves as the faithful servants, the obedient ones sent on God's behalf to a wicked people. But Jesus is saying to them that you are not the servants sent by God, you are the tenants who hate him. Just as everything in the vineyard owner does increases their hostility, so too everything I am doing only makes you hate me more. The way that you treat me, Jesus says, demonstrates that you repudiate God's claim on your life. And the authorities know that they have gotten the story when they are offended by it. Now, the point of this story was for the scribes and elders and priests to realize that they had all been entrusted with something that was not theirs but was given as a gift. They had been given gifts and responsibilities meant for honoring God, but their actions reveal that they are hostile to God. And in the same way, the point of the parable is for us to see that we have been entrusted with skills and gifts and responsibilities which we so often use to reject God. And we will not understand the point of the story until we are offended. All this Lenten season, we have been working toward offense, right? We have been trying to remember and use words for sin. We have been trying to see ourselves acting as people in ignorance who are yet responsible for what we have done anyway. To see greed and sloth and pride and envy like blight and rot on the vine of our heart. And this has been difficult, even for church people. Because what, but as hard as that was, the dimension of sin that Jesus is trying to show us here today is harder still. Because what Jesus is trying to turn over in us is an impulse lying deep in the heart, deep within us. That when we sense what God wants from us, we do the opposite, just to spite him. What Jesus is trying to show us is that our hearts are set against God. And until we see this, we will not understand Jesus' kingship or what is happening on Palm Sunday. Now, did you notice in this parable the strange note that the tenants think to themselves. They say, if we kill the son, we can have it all to ourselves. That doesn't make sense, does it? But that's hostility thinking for you, isn't it? It's, it's the kind of logic that only applies when things are really bad between you and someone else, when you are not thinking clearly. We talked last week about this picture of Israel and God as husband and wife. So think about an estranged couple for a moment. Two people, they fall in love, and then at some point they become strangers to each other. When they were in love, they adored the other person's unique qualities, right? 
She always made sure that things were organized and so that you could find them whenever you needed them. And he found that really helpful. And he kept her laughing with his spontaneity, brought some levity to life in the world, got her out of her head. When they were in love, everything was a wonder, but then things go bad, and they begin to read everything about the other person through this badness, right? She used to think that he was steady and consistent, but now she thinks he's emotionally inept. He used to love that she was detailed, but now he sees it as a lack of trust and a need to control the world. What changed? Was it them? Or was it the way that they saw each other? Friends, this is what happened to us. The story of the Bible begins with us in a garden, in love with God, and at peace with the world, and the two go together. We loved God, and God's character was a joy, and it was a delight to us. But we were banished from that place because we rebelled. We mistrusted what God said. We began to suspect that he was hiding something from us. And everything begins to fall apart from there. And now the mystery of God, the vastness of God, well, it used to be beautiful, but now it just seems like obscurity. The sovereignty of God, God's freedom to do what God wants, now it doesn't look like something to praise. It looks like unaccountability. Even the grace of God, which should be precious above all, it so often looks to us like someone just getting off the hook. There is no free lunch, people. God, of all people, should know this. What I am trying to help us see is that we go through life with our heart set against God, complaining that God is not someone we can possibly understand, and who would even want to? Who knows why he made the world the way that he did with his differences? Who knows why he's so particular about worship and his name and the Sabbath and monogamy and stealing? It all seems so arbitrary. It all seems so arcane, cumbersome. Could the God of the universe really care that much about what I do with my body or my time or my wealth? It's not that we disobey God. It's that our hearts rail against him. This is why the Heidelberg Catechism, which I have come to love, and some of you know that, right? You only, you, you get to question five and no further before it gets to this line where it says that when it comes to living the way that God wants, we don't comply. Instead, we don't do what God wants naturally. Instead, naturally, what comes to us is a tendency to hate God and our neighbor. Friends, we don't just reject the commands of God. We rebel against the one giving them. There's this great quote by uh, the atheist Aldous Huxley. You know, the guy who wrote Brave New World uh, in the 20th century, right? He, he grew up an Anglican in England. Uh, he goes to university, and then as an adult, he becomes an atheist. And he writes uh, in a book about why he was drawn to atheism. And he's very honest he says that uh, he didn't become an atheist because it was true. He became an atheist because he wanted to sleep around. And in atheism, he found a neat justification to get rid of this God and all his rules. He didn't want limits put on his freedom. In atheism, he found a convenient workaround by simply saying God doesn't exist. And then he says, philosophers, 
They might tell you that they're pursuing the truth, and a little bit they are, but what they're also pursuing is a reason not to stop doing what they want to do. Now, this is not to say that all atheists are immoral. I have secular friends who are sometimes more generous than many of the Christians that I know. The point is is deeper than that. The point is that deep in our hearts is a rebellion. And until our heart is changed, until this hostility is, is overcome, turned over, we will find something wrong with everything that God does, and everything that we do will only drive us into a further entrenched position against God until we reach the place where we cannot stand the idea of Him any longer and we have to throw it off. We will not understand the point of Palm Sunday until we see Jesus, the rightful heir, the King, the one promised, coming to us. And we experience this as an invasion of what we thought was sovereign territory, which is what Jesus is trying to do for us in this story. Friends, I know it seems strange, but Jesus tells this story to unveil hostility and to escalate it. That is a strange thing to do. But then again, every step that we have seen Jesus take toward Jerusalem in the last six weeks has been imbued with the weight of God's divine purpose. He is not doing this by mistake or by accident. That purpose is to bring peace. And the kind of peace that he makes has to do with our greatest need. And What Jesus is showing us is that our deepest need for peace is to be able to trust God, to trust that God is who God says he is. We need to know that God is just and wise and faithful and powerful. We need to know that we can be forgiven for all of the ways that we have ruined that reputation with the way that we live. The kind of peace that Jesus comes to bring is peace with God, reconciliation. It's what Paul describes for us in Colossians 1. He says, once we were alienated from God and we were enemies in our minds. We could not see right or think straight when it came to God. But now he has reconciled us by Christ's body through death to present us holy in his sight. Free from all accusation. This is the gospel. You know, if you look at this story carefully, the strangest part of this parable to me is the logic demonstrated by the vineyard owner. Imagine that you own the land, you plowed the land, you invested in the vineyard. You sent servants in your name, and they send them back beaten or not at all. And this goes on time after time after time. Other people have laid claim as their own to what you gave them freely. They refuse to what they refuse to give what is rightfully yours. And then you say, I'm gonna send my son. Perhaps they'll listen to him. I'm sorry, what? Why would the owner decide in the face of such consistent hostility to send 
his most precious thing after we have so clearly demonstrated what we will do with it. That doesn't make any sense. What makes sense, my friends, is burning it all down and starting over. Well, Jesus says, have you never read the Bible? The stone that we rejected has become the most important one. What makes sense is burning it down, getting rid of us. For this is what we have done to God, but this is not what God has done with us. In the face of our increasing and unchanging hatred to God and His claims on our lives, what God has done is to say, I'm going to send my son. And He is the one telling the story. Jesus is the son, the stone, the precious one who is treated at the, as the least important and that is the key to healing. On Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem and he walks into the court of the Gentiles. He takes one look around and he does something very dramatic. He approaches a table laden with doves. He takes it by the corner and he heaves it over, spilling coins and flustering feathers high into the air. He shows the sellers the door with a firm pointer finger and he zeroes in on the money-changing station. What does it mean? Matthew wants us to see that what Jesus is doing is he is changing the meaning of this whole temple system. He is changing who the temple is for and what happens there. Jesus is symbolically purging the temple of its old operating system so that he can boot a new one in the old hardware. The Messiah is attacking the sacrificial economy in the temple. What he is saying is that we do not need that sacrificial economy anymore. There is no need for purification sacrifices anymore. There is no longer a need to slaughter an unblemished dove or lamb for sins and impurity. Now the temple can be a place where life can happen, where doves can be set free and people too, and the old exchanges of money for sin and sin for money are no more. Now the temple is no longer a place where God only hears you if you sacrifice. It is a place where you know, without a doubt, that he is listening. In other words, Jesus the Messiah turns the temple symbolically into a place where healing can begin. And do you know what? There are some people who notice Ironically, the ones who notice what Jesus is doing are the people who can't see. The ones who come to Jesus are the ones who can't walk. And it's the children who don't know any better, who see the world from this high, who really see what's happening. They see that the temple is changing. And so the blind come and the lame hobble to Jesus and Jesus heals them and children sing praise songs. Jesus transforms the temple into a place of healing. And what we are asking ourselves is, by what right is he, of all people, able to do this? How can he just 
in the snap of his fingers, change it all like that? How can he just decide to end the entire religious sacrificial system that is happening for hundreds of years? How can he be the one to bring all of this work and its elaborate Passover pageantry to an abrupt ending like that? What gives him the right how and why? Have you never read the scriptures? The stone we reject is the most important one. Jesus ends the sacrificial system because he is the sacrifice. Today, on Palm Sunday, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is standing in the temple that points to him. This week, the judge is the prisoner. He is arrested for our crimes so that we can be set free. Today, the king comes in peace on a donkey in order to make peace. And on Friday, he makes peace by the shedding of his blood on the cross. On the cross that we nailed him to, we are saved. And we are surprised, shocked, offended, turned on our very heads, spinning. But then again, this is what Jesus has been telling us all along. Jesus puts himself in harm's way because this is the healer's way. In his kingdom, the stone that everyone discards becomes the most important stone of all. The cross of shame is God's crowning achievement. And the king rules his vineyard by being thrown out of it. And we are left to gaze in wonder for this is marvelous in our eyes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, today on this day of praise and challenge, on this day of wonder and irony, help us, show us again that we welcome you as the king we do not actually want. And that rather than absolve this, you in fact bring it to its ultimate climax in your crucifixion, the place where mercy and justice meet, the place where the pain of the world and your healing are revealed together, the place where darkness and light crash. And the darkness has not understood it. And the light overcomes it. As we walk with you in these next couple of days, help us to be attentive, to focus on each step that you take and each word that falls from your lips. Help us to cherish and treasure them as things that we did not understand but that have become our very lifeblood. As we gather on Thursday with Fairlawn, for Monday, Thursday, and take the supper, as we gather here on Friday for Good Friday, remembering your death, give us eyes and ears and faith for Sunday. In your name, amen. Brothers and sisters, as we are even trying now to receive and understand God's word to us, we have chances to to take this home with us, uh, both as a congregation by responding in song and also by creating opportunities for connection and engagement with this. One of those is for our ECHO students, 
our third through fifth graders to come forward and to go and have a short time with leaders to talk about what they're hearing and learning uh, in our service. Welcome, guys. Um, so let's, uh, let's say this together. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. This is us. Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Sorry. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Friends, would you rise in body and spirit and let's respond to God together. And can it be? Yeah. 
even as we struggle and wonder together to absorb this wondrous news this Holy Week season, would you join me in lifting our voices to proclaim the ancient faith of Christians who have gone before us for centuries? Together we say the Apostles' Creed. Ready? I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and turned from the earth. He suffered under the conscious child, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and seated there. living in the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Friends, as our Holy Week worship begins and we take this path, it is God who has turned his face towards us, who promises to journey with us as we journey with him. Friends, would you Lift your eyes, open your hands, and receive God's blessing. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing. Blessings flow. Hallelujah. 
Friends, go now in peace to love and serve Jesus Christ.